0: Chapters 8-14 to of Book 9 of History of Animals by Aristotle. Translated by Darcy Wentworth-Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 8. Birds of a heavy build, such as quails, partridges, and the like, build no nests. Indeed, where they are incapable of flight, it would be of no use, if they could do so after scraping a hole on a level piece of ground, and it is only in such a place that they lay their eggs, they cover it over with thorns and sticks for security against hawks and eagles, and there lay their eggs and hatch them. After the hatching is over they at once lead the young out from the nest, as they are not able to fly a field for food for them. Quails and partridges, like barn-door hens, when they go to rest, gather their brood under their wings. Not to be discovered, as might be the case if they stayed long in one spot, they do not hatch the eggs where they laid them. When a man comes by chance upon a young brood, and tries to catch them, the hen-bird rolls in front of the hunter, pretending to be lame. The man every moment thinks he is on the point of catching her, and so she draws him on and on, until every one of her brood has had time to escape. Hereupon she returns to the nest, and calls the young back. The partridge lays not less than ten eggs, and often lays as many as sixteen. As has been observed, the bird has mischievous and deceitful habits. In the springtime, a noisy scrimmage takes place, out of which the male birds emerge each with a hen. Owing to the lecherous nature of the bird, and from a dislike to the hen sitting, the males, if they find any eggs, roll them over and over until they break them in pieces. To provide against this, the female goes to a distance and lays the eggs, and often, under the stress of parturition, lays them in any chance spot that offers. If the male bird be near at hand, then, to keep the eggs intact, she refrains from visiting them. If she be seen by a man, then, just as with her fledged brood, she entices him off by showing herself close at his feet, until she has drawn him to a distance. When the females have run away and taken to sitting, the males in a pack take to screaming and fighting. When thus engaged they have the nickname of widowers. The bird who is beaten follows his victor and submits to be covered by him only, and the beaten bird is covered by a second one or by any other, only clandestinely, without the victor's knowledge. This is so not at all times but at a particular season of the year. And with quails, as well as with partridges. A similar proceeding takes place occasionally with barn door cocks, for in temples, where cocks are set apart as a dedicate without hens, they all, as a matter of course, tread any newcomer. Tame partridges tread wild birds, peck at their heads, and treat them with every possible outrage. The leader of the wild birds, with a counter-note of challenge, pushes forward to attack the decoy-bird, and after he has been netted, another advances with a similar note. This is what is done if the decoy be a male. But if it be a female that is the decoy, and gives the note, and the leader of the wild birds give a counter-one, the rest of the males set upon him, and chase him away from the female for making advances to her instead of to them. In consequence of this the male often advances without uttering any cry, so that no other may hear him, and come and give him battle. And experienced fowlers assert that sometimes the male bird, when he approaches the female, makes her keep silence, to avoid having to give battle to other males who might have heard him. The partridge has not only the note here referred to, but also a thin, shrill cry and other notes. Oftentimes the hen-bird rises from off her brood when she sees the male showing attentions to the female decoy. She will give the counter-note and remain still, so as to be trodden by him and divert him from the decoy. The quail and the partridge are so intent upon sexual union that they often come right in the way of the decoy-birds, and not seldom, alight upon their hands. So much for the sexual proclivities of the partridge, for the way in which it is hunted, and the general nasty habits of the bird. As has been said, quails and partridges build their nests upon the ground, and so also do some of the birds that are capable of sustained flight. Further, for instance, of such birds, the lark and the woodcock, as well as the quail, do not perch on a branch, but squat upon the ground. 9. The woodpecker does not squat on the ground, but pecks at the bark of trees, to drive out from under it maggots and gnats. When they emerge it licks them up with its tongue, which is large and flat. It can run up and down a tree in any way, even with the head downwards, like the gecko-lizard for secure hold upon a tree, its claws are better adapted than those of the daw. It makes its way by sticking these claws into the bark. One species of woodpecker is smaller than a blackbird, and has small reddish speckles. A second species is larger than the blackbird, and a third is not much smaller than a barn-door hen. It builds a nest on trees, as has been said, On olive-trees amongst others. It feeds on the maggots and ants that are under the bark. It is so eager in the search for maggots, that it is said sometimes to hollow a tree out to its downfall. A woodpecker, once, in course of domestication, was seen to insert an almond into a hole in a piece of timber, so that it might remain steady under its pecking. At the third peck it split the shell of the fruit and then eat the kernel. 10. Many indications of high intelligence are given by cranes. They will fly to a great distance and high up in the air to command an extensive view. If they see clouds and signs of bad weather, they fly down again and remain still. They furthermore have a leader in their flight and patrols that scream on the confines of the flock so as to be heard by all. When they settle down the main body go to sleep with their heads under their wing, standing first on one leg and then on the other, while their leader, with his head uncovered, keeps a sharp lookout. and when he sees anything of importance signals it with a cry. Pelicans that live beside rivers swallow the large smooth mussel-shells. After cooking them inside the crop that precedes the stomach, they spit them out, so that now, when their shells are open, they may pick the flesh out and eat it. 11. Of wild birds the nests are fashioned to meet the exigencies of existence, and ensure the security of the young. Some of these birds are fond of their young, and take great care of them. Others are quite the reverse. Some are clever in procuring subsistence, others are not so. Some of these birds build in ravines and clefts and on cliffs, as, for instance, the so-called caradrius, or stone curlew. This bird is in no way noteworthy for plumage or voice. It makes an appearance at night, but in the daytime keeps out of sight. The hawk also builds in inaccessible places. Although a ravenous bird, it will never eat the heart of any bird it catches this has been observed in the case of the quail, the thrush, and other birds. They modify betimes their method of hunting, for in summer they do not grab their prey as they do at other seasons. Of the vulture it is said that no one has ever seen either its young or its nest, on this account, and on the ground that all of a sudden great numbers of them will appear without any one being able to tell from whence they come. Herodorus, the father of Bryson the Sophist, says that it belongs to some distant and elevated land. The reason is that the bird has its nest on inaccessible crags, and is found only in a few localities. The female lays one egg as a rule, and two at the most. Some birds live on mountains or in forests, as the hoopoe and the Brenthus. This latter bird finds his food with ease, and has a musical voice. The wren lives in breaks and crevices. It is difficult of capture, keeps out of sight. Is gentle of disposition, finds its food with ease, and is something of a mechanic. It goes by the nickname of Old Man or King, and the story goes that for this reason the eagle is at war with him. 12. Some birds live on the seashore, as the wagtail. The bird is of a mischievous nature, hard to capture, but when caught capable of complete domestication. It is a cripple, as being weak in its hinder quarters. Web-footed birds, without exception, live near the sea, or rivers, or pools, as they naturally resort to places adapted to their structure. Several birds, however, with cloven toes, live near pools or marshes, as, for instance, the anthos lives by the side of rivers. The plumage of this bird is pretty, and it finds its food with ease. The cataractes lives near the sea. When it makes a dive, it will keep under water for as long as it would take a man to walk a furlong. It is less than the common hawk, Swans are web-footed, and live near pools and marshes. They find their food with ease, are good-tempered, are fond of their young, and live to a green old age. If the eagle attacks them they will repel the attack and get the better of their assailant. But they are never the first to attack. They are musical, and sing chiefly at the approach of death. At this time they fly out to sea, and men, when sailing past the coast of Libya, have fallen in with many of them out at sea, singing in mournful strains, and have actually seen some of them dying. The commindis is seldom seen, as it lives on mountains. It is black in color, and about the size of the hawk called the dove-killer. It is long and slender in form, The Ionians call the bird by this name. Homer in the Iliad mentions it in the line Chalcus its name with those of heavenly birth, but called Comindius by the sons of earth. The Hybris, said by some to be the same as the eagle owl, is never seen by daylight, as it is dim sighted but during the night it hunts like the eagle. It will fight the eagle with such desperation that the two combatants are often captured alive by shepherds. It lays two eggs, and like others we have mentioned, it builds on rocks and in caverns. Cranes also fight so desperately among themselves as to be caught when fighting, for they will not leave off. The crane lays two eggs. 13. The jay has a great variety of notes. Indeed, one might almost say it had a different note for every day in the year. It lays about nine eggs, builds its nest on trees, out of hair and tags of wool. When acorns are getting scarce it lays up a store of them in hiding. It is a common story of the stork that the old birds are fed by their grateful progeny. Some tell a similar story of the bee-eater, and declare that the parents are fed by their young, not only when growing old, but at an early period, as soon as the young are capable of feeding them, and the parent birds stay inside the nest. The under part of the bird's wing is pale yellow. The upper part is dark blue, like that of the alcyon. The tips of the wings are red. About autumn time it lays six or seven eggs. In overhanging banks, where the soil is soft, there it burrows into the ground to a depth of six feet. The greenfinch, so called from the colour of its belly, is as large as a lark. It lays four or five eggs, builds its nest out of the plant called comfrey, pulling it up by the roots, and makes an under mattress to lie on of hair and wool. The blackbird and the jay build their nests after the same fashion. The nest of the penduline tit shows great mechanical skill. It has the appearance of a ball of flax, and the hole for entry is very small. People who live where the bird comes from say that there exists a cinnamon bird which brings the cinnamon from some unknown localities and builds its nest out of it. It builds on high trees on the slender top branches— they say that the inhabitants attach leaden weights to the tips of their arrows, and therewith bring down the nests, and from the intertexture collect the cinnamon sticks. 14. The halcyon is not much larger than the sparrow. Its colour is dark blue, green, and light purple. The whole body and wings, and especially parts about the neck, show these colours in a mixed way without any colour being sharply defined. The beak is light green, long and slender. Such, then, is the look of the bird. Its nest is like sea-balls, i.e., the things that go by the name of halosacne, or sea-foam, only the colour is not the same. The colour of the nest is light red, and the shape is that of the long-necked gourd. The nests are larger than the largest sponge, though they vary in size. They are roofed over, and a great part of them is solid and a great part hollow. If you use a sharp knife it is not easy to cut the rest through, but if you cut it and at the same time bruise it with your hand it will soon crumble to pieces like the halasacne. The opening is small, just enough for a tiny entrance so that even if the nest upset, the sea does not enter in. The hollow channels are like those in sponges. It is not known for certain of what material the nest is constructed. It is possibly made of the backbones of the garfish. For, by the way, the bird lives on fish. Besides, living on the shore, it ascends fresh water streams. It lays generally about five eggs, and lays eggs all its life long, beginning to do so at the age of four months. End of chapter 14